Welcome back to Always Evolving with Coach Mike Bear. In celebration of Pride Month, we're having Pride Week here on the podcast. We're honored to welcome the cast of HBO's We're Here. This show is off the charts. It's an unscripted series starring renowned drag queens, Bob the Drag Queen, Eureka O'Hara, and Shangela Laquifa Wadley to travel to small towns across America and encourage residents to participate in a one-night-only drag show. It's not about gay or straight or anything in between. It's about self-acceptance and love. It's heartwarming and hilarious. Welcome, queens. At first, I thought you said your name was Mike Bear. I was like, work, like a, like, like a, like a bear. Yeah, a lot of people get that confused because I'm, I'm 6'5", 280. I'm definitely not smooth, uh, so it could be kind of fitting. You're like our own private little Rico Hera. We have a 6'4", a, a uh, lovely queen on our team that we're proud to parade around. <laughs> so I want to ask you guys, and, and I'm going to kind of ask you each, you know, part of it is this is Pride Week, Pride Month, and I see you guys as more than drag queens. I see you as entertainers overall like bigger picture, the amount of things that you guys do to make people laugh, make people feel, have emotion, have a better day. What I want to know from each of you is, how did you find that strength inside of you to actually do what you do? So, Shangela, why don't you kick it off? Well, honestly, as entertainers and really as drag entertainers, you learn that you quickly, that you live outside of the lines or the constructs that society always tries to fit us into. You know, men wear this, women wear this, you behave in this way, this is considered masculine, this is not. And as a drag entertainer, you have to kind of shrug all of that off because you're creating a character and a lot of times you create many different characters and you just get to live outside of those lines. I think that's what helps to develop the type of confidence because you're not out there trying to win over anyone with your experience and your being, you have to build up this love for yourself because you walk into a room knowing that you're gonna turn heads, that you may walk into a space where everyone's not gonna agree with you and that you stand out. So when you learn to start filling your own gas tank up with you know, that love gasolina, then uh, you don't really live wanting that love or desiring it, needing it to lift you to a place of acceptance. You accept yourself. What, what was that moment, though? I have to imagine you had, like, should I be doing this? Or was this something where you were like, I was born to do this? Like, were you having doubt early in your career? Well, for me specifically, I started as a <laughs> Well, we all started as a baby, but I, my baby uh, years were really lived out on television. Uh, I went to RuPaul's Drag Race in the second season after doing drag for only five months. That was only 10 times, really, because I was doing a show once every two weeks. So I'd only done drag 10 times. I really wasn't doing even my own makeup. So a lot of times I felt like I was playing catch up a lot of times. But I always wanted to be an entertainer. I got my passion, uh, lived out my best life on stage. And when you got that kind of positive reinforcement from being on stage and you go, wow, this is something I love to do and people are open to it, but also I love it. That helped me. I think that was a big moment for me that started really building up my own self-confidence. How about you, Eureka? Tell me how the heck you ended up making a decision to do what you do. I mean, this is not, that you guys didn't just make a decision to go do theater. You made a decision to do something where you knew 
you would have people discriminating, doubting, second guessing you. Like, but Mike, Mike, I hate to interrupt you, but as a drag, not just as a drag entertainer, but as a gay person, you st- you live the life of knowing that a lot of times you're not going to walk into spaces where you're always accepted. So choosing to do a passion where you're also in a space where you're not always accepted, but it does have a celebratory side to it. That to me wasn't a huge leap being an out loud and proud gay person. That was the experience that really solidified. Okay. I'm on this journey. I'm going to love me and I'm going to keep it pushing no matter what. That's where you get the original confidence. I got you now. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think I started doing drag just because it was like something fierce and fabulous. And I was raised with, um, I was the only um, cis male in a household of females. My mom was a single mom with two sisters. And I remember growing up, like always wanting to do the girl stuff and like play dolls and this and that and uh, dress up in secret, you know? So whenever I found drag, I was like, oh, this is something I really want to try because it was like a way for me to express that femininity that I was told like most of my life to push to the side or to hold back. And, you know, you need to be playing with monster trucks, not Barbies. Uh, And I, you know, I wanted to dress up Barbies, girl, make clothes for Barbies. So I was able to do that for myself so that's kind of how I got started into it really did you have any doubt at first like I was young and silly and excited I didn't really have doubt I just wanted to like show out you know what I'm saying <laughs> I just wanted to like get wild and get crunk and feel fierce you know wow how about for you Bob well I, I guess I'll try to answer all now we're, we're we're on like seven questions now <laughs> I'll go back to the beginning I guess um I ended up falling into drag and I wasn't thinking to myself like I'm choosing a career that I know I'll be marginalized. I just remember seeing drag and thinking to myself, I, that looks like fun and I really want to do that. Um, and, you know, down the road, when I first started in drag, my career goals were really based on like the local drag scene. There weren't a whole lot of international drag queens back when I started drag. There was the girls from Drag Race season one, and then there was RuPaul and then like a couple of other names, like Barry Humphreys, who does Dame Edna. And like, I, I remember Tyler Perry was doing Medea, but it seemed like something different than, it was drag, but it was like not drag queen. I don't know that Tyler Perry would call himself a drag queen. So my aspirations were kind of like, when I first started, just I wanted to work in some bars while I was, you know, trying to be an actor. I mean, you guys have built a huge career where you're on a huge show on HBO. And essentially you're going into towns where they're maybe not the most accepting and uh, embracing of, you know, drag and people being a lot different. Well, I think that's a common misconception when it comes to these towns. And I'm really, I'm really proud of we're here because we're here does not paint these towns as like, look at these bumpkins who don't know nothing about culture. That is not that because that's not. Honestly, the overwhelming response when we get there, there are some people there who don't like what we're doing. But baby, I live in New York City. There are folks in this city who are not accepting and appreciative of what it is that I do. But when we went to these towns, I was really overwhelmed and happy to see the positive turnout that we got to each and every one of our shows. I'm telling you, out of five shows we did, they were all lines wrapped around the block. People coming from neighboring towns coming to support the shows in the community. Did that surprise you or did you feel like that was how it was going to be? I wasn't surprised. Shangela? <laughs> <laughs> now, both, both Bob and Eureka both know that I was surprised. Here's the thing. 
like we all grew up in small towns. We all have that small town experience in our upbringing. So we kind of understand that what it's like to be in a space where there aren't a lot of people that necessarily visibly support you to live in a space where you see Confederate flags flying around and and know the differences and, and, and the divides in racial groups and, and not having a lot of uh, visible out loud and proud people. So taking that into these towns, these small conservative towns that we went to, I was thinking, okay, get ready. Cause I remember we were setting up for a show one day and Bob said, okay, make sure you leave space for them to come up and tip and uh, standing room. And I was like, girl, this is Gettysburg. <laughs> There's not about to be standing room people like clamoring to get up here. Let's hope we fill these chairs, okay? And honestly, I was so surprised. And that's what's unique about we're here. I think we unearth these different pockets of support in the most unlikely places. And Gettysburg, Bob's right. The, the line was wrapped around the building twice. And shout out to everyone out there who is doing these drag shows in these towns. This is something you need to remember. If you're not performing outside on a stage, take this advice from Shangela, Eureka, and Bob, the drag queen. Perform in a room in air conditioning. Yeah, drag has a very short shelf life. <laughs> I noticed watching the episodes as a life coach, I was like, all three of you are like coaches on the show. What surprised you about maybe a new ability that you had with really helping make these people feel better in their skin or be able to perform? Were there any surprises? I mean, I can go real quick. I felt like I felt like a student, not a coach. I felt like I was receiving stuff. I mean, we, we're not we're not life coaches. We're not therapists. We are just having human experiences with other humans simultaneously. So what they're giving us, we're just receiving it from them and vice versa. It's symbiotic. Right. It's like you have friends. I'm sure you do too, Mike, that you can call up and no, none of them are licensed as therapists. None of them have huge amounts of work experience as a therapist, but they can talk you through some stuff. We go in these towns and we're able to connect with these people on a real level because we come in as open, honest individuals that are just sharing what we've learned from our personal experiences and conversations that we've had in the past and maybe how to bridge some uh, places where they feel they weren't able to reach. And that's what we do. We connect with them and then we also help them to produce a one night only drag show. And we bring them on as our drag daughters because we feel more like parents, sisters, brothers, friends, not necessarily coaches and, and professional people. Yeah, and I think it's actually just kind of fun because we're really just giving advice on personal experiences of finding confidence and self-love, honestly. Most of the time, like, drag is really based around finding um, a confidence in yourself that you didn't either um, see there or it hasn't just come out in a while, but it's in there in all of us, right? And that's kind of the power of drag is that, like, it gives you a chance to just feel fierce and, like, own the moment. And so a lot of our coaching, I guess, or, like, our advice stems around, like, giving advice on how to be that confident person and just be like be nicer to yourself you know and like really own the moment and that's what drag does it like makes you feel fierce and confident yeah and you guys certainly do that can i, I should have probably asked you at the beginning can each of you and i'll, I'll start with you shangela describe your drag queen performer shangela how would you describe her when somebody sees her entertain well, I might not want to describe her too well because she may be running for some warrants. So let's just see here. <laughs> I'm totally kidding. Um, in most states. No, seriously. Uh, how would I describe Shangela? I would say Shangela is a heightened sense of who I am as DJ, honestly. 
Um, I don't change my voice in any way. There's a lot more wake makeup and glitter uh, added. But honestly, I like to be on stage, someone who is fierce, who is fun, who is high energy. But those are the same attributes I think you'll find from me out of drag. Just in drag, I'm a heightened sense of myself with the extra wigs and clothes and hair and, and the glamour of it. How about you, Eureka? Um, yeah, I mean, Eureka is like, honestly, Eureka is where I found um, a way to feel sexy and like love my body, I guess, and love who I am as like an individual, even outside of drag. And to me, Eureka is like, a, a, it was a way for me to channel like my extrovert personality and be celebrated for being like animated and, and loud and, and over the top and uh, also celebrate my, my extreme femininity, you know, and that's why I do like high glam drag and the most uh, with costuming and stuff is like, I love being that kind of push the element of creativity. Right. And it just, it makes me feel glamorous and expensive. Um, and I was raised where I didn't really have a lot, you know what I'm saying? So like drag is my way of like getting to, to be the fantasy, getting to live that like rich high life that I always dreamed of, you know what I mean? And being like the queens that I saw and loved, you know? How about you, Bob the Drag Queen? You know, I don't personally identify with the idea of like Bob the Drag Queen and Caldwell being different entities. That never really set, like I, I don't have a drag character. Um, I don't really do things different in drag at all. I don't have a different voice. I don't have a different, I look at Bob the Drag Queen as one of my nicknames and my outfits and my, my uniform, my work clothes. Those are my work clothes. When I get out there and build my thing as I'm like, oh, I'm putting my work clothes. Let's go, you know, turn a little, a little circle here and there or tell my jokes here and there, uh, which is why my pronouns are he, she, him, hers in and out of drag. People in drag call me he and it doesn't really offend me. People out of drag call me she that also doesn't offend me either because I really I really don't have a separation between like Bob lives over there and Caldwell lives over here. We all live in this apartment. I mean, my drag, my uniforms are all locked in one area because they tend to overrun the whole place. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't I don't have a separate. I character. think too that's what makes the art so beautiful is everyone can authentically express themselves in a way that makes the most sense for themselves. Like sometimes it's the same, and some people it becomes a character and for some people they may change their voice. Some people may not change their voice, but you brought up, and I think there's a lot of confusion, at least in mainstream culture around him, her, they, can you guys educate Shangela? Do you want to kick this off or Bob, do you want to jump in? I was happy to, <laughs> if you go to, uh, I don't know if Shangela has it, but I know Eureka and I have it. If you go to my Twitter or my Instagram, my pronouns are right there in the bio. It makes it so easy. And the reason why I put my pronouns in my bio or in the letter or the signature of my emails is so it's a way of it's it's like seeing a rainbow sticker on the outside of a door. You see a rainbow sticker on the outside of a door, you know for a fact that in this space, queer people are safe. And when you see someone who puts their pronouns in their uh, emails or in their bio, then you know this person understands gender identity on a level that's not just binary. And and so, can you explain a little bit about gender identity? You know, a lot of our listeners don't know a lot about it. Well, a lot of people have a hard time separating gender identity, gender expression, sexual identity. So, for example, you can be um, a cisgendered male, and then you then you know, also your pronouns can be whatever they are. So you can be you can have a gender expression. For example, um, uh, a great example of someone who um, there's a, a famous hairdresser who has a show on BET whose name I cannot remember right now, but his gender expression is very female. But he's like, I'm uh, I'm a man. 
I am a man. I just, my gender expression on the outside is just very feminine. And that's just how I am. It's not me saying I'm a woman and his pronouns are he. Um, and that's a little bit of a deal that separates between gender identity, gender expression, and pronouns. Eureka, you want to talk a little bit about gender pronouns and just give us... The reason I'm saying this is I think if you're in the LGBT culture, it becomes very obvious, right? Like in, in everyone, it's a part of the conversation. Whereas in other cultures, or at least that I speak to, they don't understand it. And they're like, why are they needing this? And why is that happening? And so I would love to give them an opportunity to learn why. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I, I consider myself gender non-conforming or gender neutral. I go by they, them pronouns, ideally. Um, I When I'm in drag, I, I accept she pronouns just because like I am kind of portraying this female character. Um, but for me, it's just gender has become like um, a much larger spectrum than I ever dreamed it to be. But I, I think what Bob is saying too, and I can piggyback on is like the gender expression. Like some days I wear a hat backwards with a t-shirt and then other days I have like on a fringe shirt, way too much jewelry, like six earrings, 17 necklaces and like, you know, eyeliner on, you know, or a full mug, honestly. And um, expression is different from your pronouns and how you identify. And for me, it was just, it's been quite a journey, honestly, to figure out gender. And I think it's just, when people ask me about gender, I just try to um, remind them that, again, it's just about allowing people to live and express themselves how they want to, right? And I think that there's just a lot of argumentation and confusion when really people could just have respect for how people want to identify, right? And it's just as easy as simply asking. If you don't know, the best question is, how do you identify or what pronouns do you use? Just ask someone. You know, most of the time, no one's going to be offended by that. And if they are, maybe it's a heavier conversation. You could ask, like, why are you offended by it? You know, don't be afraid to ask questions, I think, is what I try to, like, tell people. Also, Bearman, the idea that gender is a construct is not far-fetched. I'm going to break it down to something really, really simple. Statue of Liberty. You see the Statue of Liberty, everyone goes, she is Lady Liberty. It is not a lady. It is not a woman. It is a big chunk of copper. <laughs> its pronouns are she. Somehow we have given this big chunk of copper the pronoun she, and everyone just agrees. She's Lady Liberty. She's the Statue of Liberty. But we all know she's not a woman. She's just metal from the earth. So that it's also really strange that people have a hard time identifying with people calling them the name they want to be called, but it's only when it's around gender because it seems like an attack on their own gender. I find it interesting that some people don't want to call Caitlyn Jenner, Caitlyn Jenner, but then we will call uh, Dr. Dre a doctor. We all know Dr. Dre is not <laughs> a doctor. Everyone knows Dr. Dre has not gotten, uh, uh, you know, maybe he has an honorary PhD at this point, but we all know Dr. Dre is not a doctor, but the social construct is we're all going to call you Dr. Dre. We, we, you, you won't call Caitlyn Jenner, Caitlyn Jenner, but you will call Waka Flocka Flame, Waka Flocka Flame. Waka Waka Flame. He's a rapper based out of Clayton County. So Shangela, how about you? Your, your uh, kind of uh, feelings or impressions around gender identity, labeling? Well, I'll say, I think my friends here have really summed it up really well and given people a lot to think about. Me personally, I feel the most important thing is being interested in treating people in a humane way where we respect them and respect the way that they wish to be identified. You know, it's the interesting piece of it is, you know, everyone's going to mess it up at some point. Okay. We're not all perfect. But the interest in wanting to get it right because we respect each other as a human race 
and that we don't want to consistently be divided and finding ways to divide us when so many outside forces are already trying to divide us as a, com as a community. The most interesting thing, and I think the most important, is that we're all interested in making sure that people feel heard, that they feel visible, valid, and respected. And that's why I think it's important, like Eureka said, to ask people, hey, how, how do these girls want to be identified? As you'll see, I'll call these girls girls, guys, hey, y'all. But if it, I don't ever want to be offensive to anyone. And in our show, we're here in Farmington. I remember I worked with Nicole, who was a very out loud and proud lesbian uh, female. However, she was misgendered a lot because she was male presenting. You know, she liked to wear men's clothes. She was an attorney. She would go to court in a suit. And she would tell me how it made her feel when the judge would say, you know, sir, you're next. But she didn't always get as upset as someone misgendered her an accident in the drive-through. And it was like, oops, I'm so sorry. Or even in a grocery store looking at her ID. It was more that people were apologetic or you just knew that they didn't do it intentionally. I think the intentional misgendering, the intentional discrimination against people who want to be identified as something outside of what the social gender construct is, therein lies the problem. So we really just have to be interested in treating people equally, fairly, and respectfully. Thank you all for answering that. That I mean, it's so helpful for me. Too. Well, with that in mind, Mike, what are your pronouns? Coach Mike Bear? Coach. <laughs> there, it is. there it is. I was just talking to Angelica Ross, and she and, and her pronouns are Miss Ross. She goes, I'll take she and her, but my pronouns are Miss Ross. And I said, all right, Miss Ross. Thank you so much. I've been to, uh, well, three marches now, protests for Black Lives Matter. Um, also have... Next week, Trayvon Martin's mom uh, on the podcast. I've had Bernard Kinsey, who who handled after the LA riots. I've donated money. Like I, I'm trying to do anything I can as a white man, and and to me, it's just overall like trying to raise awareness to things. And I went to a march in West Hollywood uh, yesterday. I think you were there too, Eureka. It wasn't a Black Lives Matter. Well, it was Black Lives Matter, but it was all Black Lives Matter. And being that both you, Bob, and Shangela are Black. Does that mean anything more or less? I'll start off with you, Bob. So you're asking, that question was, does it mean, what does it mean to have all Black it's Lives It's more just matter? trying to get your thoughts on, is that an important message that also should be? Well, you don't have to go any further. Yes. <laughs> it's very important. Black lives can't matter until all Black lives matter. So if you don't include Black trans lives, Black queer lives, Black non-binary lives, it's called Black Lives Matter. Not some Black Lives Matter. All members of the Black community, our lives all matter. What I'm saying is it became all Black Lives Matter. It was almost like a separate group. I mean, all Black Lives Matter is probably people who are insinuating and trying to make sure everyone knows that there are queer people, trans people in the Black community. So that's probably a big part of what it, what's going on there. It's an, it's an inclusive way of saying Black Lives Matter. Because there are some times where in the Black Lives Matter community, um, queer people get left on the wayside, especially our trans family. You know what's interesting, too, is I've never been to a march or protest ever. I'm like a hermit. I'm very hard to even follow people. I've marched to my own beat. But since what's gone on, like that was the first time I've even gone on a march for three miles. I was like, I need to show up for other people. 
I need to be present. And it's, it's a beautiful thing. And, and it's just so important right now. Uh, I'm going to change questions over to you, Shangela. What do you think needs to happen so that this becomes more embedded in culture? Yes. Uh, I'll tell you this. I'm right now I'm quarantining at my grandmother's house in Paris, Texas. I live in Los Angeles. So it's been kind of bittersweet for me because I also want to be physically out there with my brothers and sisters safely uh, protesting and being a part of the activism. We're at a very pivotal time, I think, right now in our society. You know, with the murder of George Floyd, so many, the world was outraged, right? And you've seen that with different marches. And it started us to have these important conversations around the facts of injustice and oppression and systematic racism against Black people and Black communities in America. Okay, so we all started marching and protesting. And then I think specifically the conversation started coming up about the inclusivity in our black communities. And we understand that in every community, but specifically in the black community as well, there is this divide. Uh, you know, sometimes it's based on religion. Sometimes it's, it's a lot of different reasons. But, but yeah, to, to that point, when you talk about the divide and you say in this community, there is a divide. Where do you see that divide typically happening in Black communities? Well, listen, I'm not the most forefront person to speak on behalf of all Black communities, but I can tell you from my personal experience, and this is not just specific to the Black community, okay? Also, in the queer community, we have different racial divides. We have divides between, with the segments of LGBTQ. Sometimes there's a line between all of those. The B's party over here, the L's party over here, the G's and the T's, you know, in which the point of pride, I think, is definitely that we all need to be united as one community. Because when the world discriminates, when the country, when lawmakers discriminate against the LGBTQ community, that's a whole. So there's no point for us to divide each other up. So back to what I was saying with regard to the black community, we all were standing up for black Lives Matter, which I'm still, I, I think Bob and I and also Eureka have all stood up for Black Lives Matter very vocally and visibly. Uh, but also when all Black Lives Matter comes into effect is because we recognize that sometimes in the Black community, we go all Black Lives Matter, but, it's, but not for everyone. And specifically, we've noticed that with Black Trans Lives Matter, there was a video that was uh, circling around Instagram. Bob, you probably know the name. I'm, I don't want to mess it up. Ayana Dior. A young trans lady named Ayana Dior who was attacked in a convenience store. And literally, there were all these people around, uh, most Dozens. people, that let her get beat and attacked in this space. And that's when you started seeing more people saying, hold up, because this is during the time we're saying Black Lives Matter, but these are also people that would support Black Lives Matter but wouldn't support Black trans lives. And we can't have that. That's why you've seen the huge march is saying all Black Lives Matter. It's inclusive. It's an inclusive message. Yes, Black Lives Matter. We don't want to distract from that in any way. But let's make sure that we're all including each other. Because here's, I'll, I'll wrap it up with this. I was watching today an Instagram video. In Chicago, they had a drag march. And a lot of uh, people came out for all, all Black Lives Matter. And they were having a, a number of drag queens speak on stage at the end. And uh, the vixen, who's known from our show, RuPaul's Drag Race, uh, was there speaking. And she said, the thing about it is, when I grew up on the south side of Chicago, 
being black and being gay, it was very difficult for me. So I could not wait until me and my friends could go to the north side of Chicago where Boys Town was, which is a gay area in Chicago, and we were going to be accepted there. And I remember going there, standing inside, out in line outside a club and being looked over, all of us, because we looked different. We didn't look like all the other white people in Boys Town. We were black and we were all still gay, but yet they were letting the white people in and weren't giving us the same respect and acceptance. And then I realized, wow, there's divisiveness all over the place. That's what we're out here marching for. And that's what we're speaking up for when we say all black lives matter. It's so that no specific group who all, we all live with that same discrimination. We all drive in fear of getting pulled over and, and we're all taught to, you know, to understand what the different oppressive natures of police and police brutality are in the black community. So when we, and then you layer on top of that, the fact that we're gay, now we're dealing with even more. And then you, talk about the trans communities, which was one of the most vulnerable communities in the black community. We have to protect them too. That's why it's important for all of us. Just like what you did, you showed up. That's step one. Step two, we're having these conversations where people are getting educated and more aware about the disparities in all our different communities. And number three, we've got to find ways to support those to get out there and vote to make sure we elect people that when we have a Supreme Court case, when we have a president that's rolling back, you know, things that have been achieved and progress that we've made, that we have a separate law system that we voted for, even though we don't vote for Supreme Court, we vote for the president who chooses Supreme Court. Our voices can be heard. That's what we can do. And I'm going to add step four. Step four is continuing the message in your day-to-day life. I'm about to send a message out to any, and this is, this is for anyone, but this is specifically for Black men who are straight and cisgender. Do you hear that? Black men who are straight and cisgendered. If you don't know what cisgender means, it means you identify with the uh, gender you were assigned at birth. So you were born a male and you call yourself a man. You need to stand up and say, Black trans lives matter. If you see your friends making transphobic jokes, transphobic remarks, being nasty to trans people, as soon as you see it, as soon as you see it, you need to step in and say, hey, that's not cool. You can't do that in front of me. Do that around your, your homophobic friends who think it's funny or your transphobic friends who think it's funny, but you can't do it around me. I'm going to let you know right now, that's not cool where I'm at. And Eureka, I, I noticed you, you're posting a whole lot about, and I've seen you out. We've ran into each other. Why is this so important to you? Um, I mean, honestly, my life has has definitely benefited from black lives, period. You know, so for me not to stand up as like a privileged white person and someone who was born into privilege would be honestly redundant to what I try to represent as a person and as a drag queen and the acceptance and the equality that I preach and the self-love. Um, it's just something that I have to represent. You know what I'm saying? There's not an option. You know, there's only one right side of this fight, and it's that all black lives matter, period. Yeah, you know, I had someone I posted being at the the march yesterday about, uh, and I was posting statistics too, like statistics of how long somebody is in jail, statistics of income, statistics just of drug charges and how much longer someone stays in prison who's black compared to someone who's white. And someone put a comment online and said, unfollow. And I was just like, bye. (laughs) You don't want to look at the facts, but I feel like there's an overall bigger energy of people. I know it's surrounded me. I know it's surrounded a lot of my friends where it's about doing the right thing. And, you know, I, Bob, you have something to say? No, I'm just stretching. <laughs> I, mean, I always have something to say. Let me do it now. I always have something to say. So if you call on me, I'm going to start talking. 
it's a, it's important to, it's important to point out too. Like when they say that racism affects uh, racism affects all Americans. Racism affects every asset of America, every single person in America. There was just a research done that has been posted in the like the Economics Journal that shows that racism has directly affected engineering and ingenuity within the United States of America. There is a research that shows that we have missed out on probably over 20 to 40,000 different inventions because when racism affects black communities, black people start producing less and less and less. Even though black people are producing um, like in- innovations at the same rate as our white counterparts, when racism, when lynchings go up, innovation in the black community goes down. When when crime goes up or, or, or when crimes against black people go up, then innovation and progress in the black community goes down, which directly affects the rest of everyone else in America. Final question for the three of you. Uh, I want, you know, because part, I'm really excited for our audience to watch. We're here. And I know it got picked up for a second season, which by the way, we got a second season. We got a, no one told me. (laughs) To get picked up for a second season is a huge deal. Like, I don't know what the odds are, but the fact that what you guys have done has become so popular that you have a second season is just awesome. Like it really is because that is a rare thing. So for everyone listening, uh, and I want you each to say for someone who, who tunes in to watch, we're here, what can they expect to experience? And Eureka, I'll have you kick it off. And Shangela, I'll have you end it. And Bob, you'll be sandwiched in between the two of them. Um, I would just say, you know, the thing is, is like we already have a lot of heart and a lot of love in the show. And our goal for the next season is just to add more glamour, more love, more power, more strength to people that need it. And hopefully give voices to those that also need it. You know, Bob, what I love about we're here is a lot of people see reflection of themselves. Our cast is so diverse, so diverse that when you see this show, there's a, a, a pretty good chance you are going to see a reflection of yourself. This is why they say representation matters. Representation, when you can see a reflection of yourself on TV, in books, in film, in radio, in podcasting, in media, in any way, you get to see yourself succeed. When I see Black people succeeding, I see myself succeeding. When I see queer people succeeding, I see myself succeeding. I'm happy when good things happen for Eureka and Shangela, but that means good things are happening for me too. Shangela? Well, I think in the second season, you know what they say, second time around is going to be bigger, badder, and with a lot more glitter. Hallelujah. So <laughs> we're going to push through and continue uh, carrying on the vision of what the creators, Johnny Ingram and Steve Warren, came to us originally with, and continuing that amazing vision that we've been supported by from HBO with like the execs like Casey Bloys and Nina Rosenstein, and then continuing that vision that audiences have really fallen in love with. That's who we really owe the second season to. All the people who watched this show, who were impacted about it, who felt driven to come to Twitter or Instagram and tell us how this show is really touching their lives. And those people, just like Bob said, the inclusivity of this show, we only got to share, what, 15 stories, really, uh, this first season. There are millions out there that deserve to be told and highlighted about the unique queer experience in small towns. So I know that all three of us are really excited about being part of that. And honey, get ready. Tune in. It's coming. Thank you, Queens, Eureka, Shangela, and Bob the Drag Queen for coming on Always Evolving. I hope everyone tunes into We're Here, 
Season one is available to stream on HBO Go, HBO Now, and on HBO via HBO Max and other partners' platforms. If you like today's show, please subscribe and download today. Thanks, and until next time.